Volume 7, Chapter 5 of Cecilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Linda Lee Paquette. Cecilia, Memoirs of an Heiress by Frances Burney. Volume 7, Chapter 5 A Letter. As soon as Mrs. Charlton was acquainted with the departure of young Delville, she returned to Cecilia, impatient to be informed what had passed. The narration she heard both hurt and astonished her, that Cecilia, the heiress of such a fortune, the possessor of so much beauty, descended of a worthy family, and formed and educated to grace a noble one, should be rejected by people to whom her wealth would be most useful and only in secret have their alliance proposed to her, she deemed an indignity that called for nothing but resentment, and approved and enforced the resolution of her young friend to resist all solicitations which Mr. and Mrs. Delville did not second themselves. About two hours after Delville was gone, his letter arrived. Cecilia opened it with trepidation, and read as follows. To Miss Beverley, September 20, 1779. What could be the apprehensions, the suspicions of Miss Beverley, when so earnestly she prohibited my writing? From a temper so unguarded as mine, could she fear any subtlety of doctrine? Is my character so little known to her that she can think me capable of craft or duplicity? Had I even the desire, I have neither the address nor the patience to practice them. No, loveliest Miss Beverley, though sometimes by vehemence I may incautiously offend, by sophistry, believe me, I never shall injure. My ambition, as I have told you, is to convince, not beguile, and my arguments shall be simple as my professions shall be sincere. Yet how again may I venture to mention a proposal which so lately, almost before you had heard, you rejected? Suffer me, however, to assure you it resulted neither from insensibility to your delicacy, nor to my own duty. I made it, on the contrary, with that reluctance and timidity which were given me by an apprehension that both seemed to be offended by it. But, alas! Already I have said what with grief I must repeat. I have no resource, no alternative, between receiving the honor of your hand in secret, or foregoing you for ever. You will wonder, you may well wonder at such a declaration, and again that severe renunciation with which you wounded me will tremble on your lips. Oh, there, let it stop! nor let the air again be agitated with sounds so discordant. In that cruel and heart-breaking moment when I tore myself from you at Delville Castle, I confessed to you the reason of my flight, and I determined to see you no more. I named not to you then my family, the potency of my own objections against daring to solicit your favor rendering theirs immaterial. My own are now wholly removed, but theirs remain in full force. 
my father descended of a race which though decaying in wealth is unsubdued in pride considers himself as the guardian of the honour of his house to which he holds the name of his ancestors inseparably annexed my mother born of the same family and bred to the same ideas has strengthened this opinion by giving it the sanction of her own such being their sentiments you will not madame be surprised that their only son the sole inheritor of their fortune and sole object of their expectations should early have admitted the same indeed almost the first lesson i was taught was that of reverencing the family from which i am descended and the name to which i am born i was bid consider myself as its only remaining support and sedulously instructed neither to act nor think but with a view to its aggrandizement and dignity thus unchecked by ourselves and uncontrolled by the world this haughty self-importance acquired by time a strength and by mutual encouragement a firmness which miss beverley alone could possibly i believe have shaken what therefore was my secret alarm when first i was conscious of the force of her attractions and found my mind wholly occupied with admiration of her excellencies all that pride could demand and all to which ambition could aspire all that happiness could covet or the most scrupulous delicacy exact in her i found united and while my heart was enslaved by her charms my understanding exulted in its fetters yet to forfeit my name to give up for ever a family which upon me rested its latest expectations honour i thought forbade it propriety and manly spirit revolted at the sacrifice the renunciation of my birthright seemed a desertion of the post in which i was stationed i forbore therefore even in my wishes to solicit your favour and vigorously determined to fly you as dangerous to my peace because unattainable without dishonour such was the intended regulation of my conduct at the time i received biddulph's letter in three days i was to leave england my father with much persuasion had consented to my departure my mother who penetrated into my motives had never opposed it but how great was the change wrought upon my mind by reading that letter my steadiness forsook me my resolution wavered yet i thought him deceived and attributed his suspicions to jealousy but still fidel i knew was missing and to hear he was your darling companion was it possible to quit england in a state of such uncertainty to be harassed in distant climates with conjectures i might then never satisfy no i told my friends i must visit biddulph before i left the kingdom and promising to return to them in three or four days i hastily set out for suffolk and rested not till i arrived at mrs charlton's what a scene there awaited me to behold the loved mistress of my heart the opposed yet resistless object of my fondest admiration caressing an animal she knew to be mine 
mourning over him his master's ill health and sweetly recommending to him fidelity. Ah, forgive the retrospection. I will dwell on it no longer. Little, indeed, had I imagined with what softness the dignity of Miss Beverley was blended, though always conscious that her virtues, her attractions, and her excellencies would reflect luster upon the highest station to which human grandeur could raise her, and would still be more exalted than her rank, though that were the most eminent upon earth. And had there been a thousand and ten thousand obstacles to impose my addressing her, vigorously and undauntedly would I have combated with them all, in preference to yielding to this single objection. Let not the frankness of this declaration irritate you, but rather let it serve to convince you of the sincerity of what follows. Various as are the calamities of life which may render me miserable, you only, among even its chosen felicities, have power to make me happy. Fame, honors, wealth, ambition were insufficient without you. All chance of internal peace and every softer hope is now centered in your favor, and to lose you, from whatever cause, ensures me wretchedness unmitigated. With respect, therefore, to myself, the die is finally cast, and the conflict between bosom felicity and family pride is deliberately over. This name which so vainly I have cherished, and so painfully supported, I now find inadequate to recompense me for the sacrifice which its preservation requires. I part with it, I own, with regret that the surrender is necessary. Yet is it rather an imaginary than an actual evil, and though a deep wound to pride, no offence to morality? Thus have I laid open to you my whole heart, confessed my perplexities, acknowledged my vainglory, and exposed with equal sincerity the sources of my doubts and the motives of my decision. But now, indeed, how to proceed I know not. The difficulties which are yet to encounter I fear to enumerate, and the petition I have to urge I have scarce courage to mention. My family, mistaking ambition for honor, and rank for dignity, have long planned a splendid connection for me, to which, though my invariable repugnance has stopped any advances, their wishes and their views immovably adhere. I am but too certain they will now listen to no other. I dread, therefore, to make a trial where I despair of success. I know not how to risk a prayer with those who may silence me by a command. In a situation so desperate, what then remains? Must I make an application with a certainty of rejection, and then mock all authority by acting in defiance of it? Or harder task yet, relinquish my dearest hopes when no longer persuaded of their impropriety? Ah, sweetest Miss Beverley, end the struggle at once. My happiness, my peace are wholly in your power for the moment of our union secures them for life. It 
may seem to you strange that I should thus propose to brave the friends whom I venture not to entreat, but from my knowledge of their characters and sentiments, I am certain I have no other resource. Their favorite principles were too early imbibed to be now at this late season eradicated. Slaves that we all are to habits and dupes to appearances, jealous guardians of our pride, to which our comfort is sacrificed, and even our virtue made subservient, what conviction can be offered by reason to notions that exist but by prejudice? They have been cherished too long for rhetoric to remove them. They can only be expelled by all-powerful necessity. Life is, indeed, too brief, and success too precarious to trust, in any case where happiness is concerned, the extirpation of deep-rooted and darling opinions, to the slow-working influence of argument and disquisition. Yet, bigoted as they are to rank and family, they adore Miss Beverley, and though their consent to the forfeiture of their name might forever be denied, when once they beheld her the head and ornament of their house, her elegance and accomplishments joined to the splendor of her fortune would speedily make them forget the plans which now wholly absorb them. Their sense of honor is in nothing inferior to their sense of high birth. Your condescension, therefore, would be felt by them in its fullest force, and though, during their first surprise, they might be irritated against their son, they would make it the study of their lives that the lady who for him had done so much should never, through their means, repine for herself. With regard to settlements, the privacy of our union would not affect them. One confident we must unavoidably trust, and I would deposit in the hands of whatever person you would name a bond by which I would engage myself to settle both your fortune and my own, according to the arbitration of our mutual friends. The time for secrecy, though painful, would be short, and even from the altar, if you desired it, I would hasten to Delville Castle. Not one of my friends should you see till they waited upon you themselves to solicit your presence at their house, till our residence elsewhere was fixed. O oh, loveliest Cecilia, from a dream of happiness so sweet awaken me not! From a plan of felicity so attractive turn not away! If one part of it is unpleasant, reject not therefore all! and since without some drawback no earthly bliss is attainable, do not, by a refinement too scrupulous for the short period of our existence, deny yourself that delight which your benevolence will afford you, in snatching from the pangs of unavailing regret and misery the gratefulest of men in the humblest and most devoted of your servants. Mortimer Delville Cecilia read and re-read this letter, but with a perturbation of mind that made her little able to weigh its contents. Paragraph by paragraph her sentiments varied, and her determination was changed. The earnestness of his supplication now softened her into compliance. 
the acknowledged pride of his family now irritated her into resentment, and the confession of his own regret now sickened her into despondence. She meant, in an immediate answer, to have written a final dismission, but though proof against his entreaties, because not convinced by his arguments, there was something in the conclusion of his letter that staggered her resolution. Those scruples and that refinement against which he warned her she herself thought might be overstrained, and to gratify unnecessary punctilio, the short period of existence be rendered causelessly unhappy. He had truly said that their union would be no offence to morality, and with respect merely to pride. Why should that be spared? He knew he possessed her heart she had long been certain of his her character had early gained the affection of his mother and the essential service which an income such as hers must do the family would soon be felt too powerfully to make her connection with it regretted these reflections were so pleasant she knew not how to discard them and the consciousness that her secret was betrayed not only to himself but to Mr. Biddulph, Lord Ernolf, Lady Honoria Pemberton, and Mrs. Delville, gave them additional force, by making it probable she was yet more widely suspected. But still her delicacy and her principles revolted against a conduct of which the secrecy seemed to imply the impropriety. "'How shall I meet Mrs. Delville?' cried she. After an action so clandestine, how, after praise such as she has bestowed upon me, bear the severity of her eye, when she thinks I have seduced from her the obedience of her son, a son who is the sole solace and first hope of her existence, whose virtues make all her happiness, and whose filial piety is her only glory? And well may she glory in a son such as Delville. Nobly has he exerted himself in situations the most difficult. His family and his ideas of honor he has preferred to his peace and health. He has fulfilled with spirit and integrity the various, the conflicting duties of life. Even now, perhaps in his present application, he may merely think himself bound by knowing me no longer free, and his generous sensibility to the weakness he has discovered, without any of the conviction to which he pretends, may have occasioned this proposal. A suggestion so mortifying again changed her determination, and the tears of Henrietta Belfield, with the letter which she had surprised in her hand, recurring to her memory, all her thoughts turned once more upon rejecting him for ever. In this fluctuating state of mind she found writing impracticable. While uncertain what to wish, to decide was impossible. She disdained coquetry. She was superior to trifling. The candor and openness of Delville had merited all her sincerity, and therefore, while any doubt remained, with herself she held it unworthy her character to tell him she had none. Mrs. Charlton, upon reading the letter, 
became again the advocate of Deville. The frankness with which he had stated his difficulties assured her of his probity, and by explaining his former conduct, satisfied her with the rectitude of his future intentions. "'Do not, therefore, my dear child,' cried she, "'become the parent of your own misery by refusing him. He deserves you alike from his principles and his affection, and the task would both be long and melancholy to disengage him from your heart. I see not, however, the least occasion for the disgrace of a private marriage. I know not any family to which you would not be an honour, and those who feel not your merit are little worth pleasing. Let Mr. Delville, therefore, apply openly to his friends, and if they refuse their consent, be their prejudices their reward. You are freed from all obligations where caprice only can raise objections, and you may then, in the face of the world, vindicate your choice. The wishes of Cecilia accorded with this advice, though the general tenor of Delville's letter gave her little reason to expect he would follow it. End of chapter 5